helpful just to keep Luke chapter 18 open before you this morning. Let's seek God's help. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, all of us are prone to trust in anything and everything other than Jesus. And as we read this parable, we recognize very quickly that we have much more in common with the Pharisee than we do with the tax collector. And that scares us. So Lord, reassure us today of that God-glorifying, Christ-exalting doctrine of justification by faith alone, which you set so clearly before us in this passage. For the glory of Christ, our King, we pray in his name. Amen. The most fundamental religious question that anyone can ever ask is this. How can a sinful human being find acceptance and favor with a holy God? There's no more profound question than that. How can a sinful human being find acceptance and favor with a holy God? It's so important that we find out the answer to that question. Well, the parable that we're going to consider this morning will go a long way to give us a very clear, unmistakable answer to that vital question. The Lord Jesus is making his way down south towards Jerusalem, and as he does so, he's telling these parables along the way. On the occasion of this parable, among some of his followers, among the crowd that walked with him, it included some religious people like the Pharisees. And our Lord began to detect this spirit of self-righteousness, a spirit of self-trust, a spirit in which people were looking to things within themselves as the ground of their acceptance before God. Now we know this to be true because the Lord in verse 9 states right away the purpose for sharing this parable. Verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Obviously, this parable is aimed straight at the self-righteous Pharisees in the crowd who thought that they were a cut above other people, religious people who trusted in themselves. And Jesus certainly didn't pull any punches by disguising in any way who he was referring to. It must have been a shock to those who were listening on that occasion that he was so pointed, that he was so blunt. The parable opens there in verse 10 with the setting up of where the events took place and who were involved. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Notice, first of all, the characters. One was a Pharisee, one of the most well-respected people in the Jewish religious culture. Parents prayed that their son would grow up to be a Pharisee. They prayed that their daughter would grow up to marry a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the ones who everybody said, if anybody's right with God, it's these guys. 
I mean, so great was their authority and their position in society and in the religious realm in particular that they were viewed as the ones who were the most holy men in their midst. These Pharisees saw themselves as being above others. They saw everyone else as beneath them and their righteousness. They saw themselves as perfect. They saw themselves as purists. Tax collectors, unlike the Pharisees, were men who were greatly detested by the Jews of their day. Tax collectors sold their services to Rome in order to collect taxes from their fellow Jews so they could make money off their fellow Jews. They were known as individuals who cheated people, who overcharged on the taxes, who kept the surplus for themselves. They were thieves, liars, traitors. One commentator put it this way. If the Pharisee and the tax collector were actors in a pantomime, the Pharisee would have been cheered when he came on the stage, whereas the tax collector would have been booed. So what Jesus does in this parable, he compares the respected, honored, revered church person with the drug dealer. I'm trying to, to make you aware of the difference in the eyes of others between this Pharisee and the tax collector. These guys clearly are not like each other. And what Jesus does here, he takes the Pharisee's perspective and our perspective of understanding who's right with God and totally flips it on its head. The whole point of the parable is to make sure that we understand what kind of person it is that God accepts into his presence. And he does this so that we don't have to wonder, so that we don't have to guess. He contrasts self-righteousness with a humble repentance, as we're about to see. Now, beware of this. As we move deeper into the parable, that you sit here today either like the self-righteous Pharisee or like the self-abased tax collector. So much for the characters involved in the parable. Let's move on. Let's notice the contrast between these two individuals and how they prayed. Look at verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Let's begin with the Pharisee's prayer. Can't you picture him? There he is, standing off by himself, which really isn't surprising. He doesn't want to be close. He doesn't want to be contaminated by the tax collector and his like. This Pharisee prayed to himself and not to God. Our Lord Jesus knew what the Pharisees were like. You remember he said on one occasion, the Pharisees loved to stand praying in the marketplace that men might hear them. I mean, how different this Pharisee's prayer was to that of Peter's. Do you remember whenever Peter was sinking beneath the waves and he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter wasn't praying for others to hear him. He was praying to the Lord. And this prayer of the Pharisee was so different. He addressed his words to God, but actually... He was praying to himself. His focus was on himself and not on God. 
He boasted of his good living. Verse 11. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He was such a proud man. The kind of person who thinks that they're self-sufficient. He was full of his own self-importance, his own self-righteousness. His own attitude was one of insufferable arrogance. In his own eyes, he was head and shoulders above others. He also saw no flaws in himself. He was the kind of person who would have said, if everyone lived as I do, then this world would be a better place. I mean, what kind of awful pride is that? That you would go to God and thank him that you're not like other sinners. That was the Pharisee of this parable. He judged himself by the wrong standard. He compared himself with other men. And really what we see is that the Pharisee's prayer betrayed the condition, the true condition of his proud heart. He boasted of his religious life. He said in verse 12, I fast twice a week. In scripture, we're told there's only one required fast every year on the day of atonement. Leviticus 16. The practice of the Pharisees was that they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays every week. So here's what he's really saying. He's saying, God, I am far more righteous than even you require. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. And yet he totally missed the spirit of what fasting was all about. Fasting was all about confessing sin. He was saying at this point, God, I'll set your standard to the side. Let me talk about mine. I fast twice a week. He was so religious. He went through the motions of praying and reading the scriptures and even fasting. And he went off into the temple. But to him, they were just ceremonies and nothing more. His religion began and ended with himself. He also boasted about his generosity. Verse 12, I give a tenth of all I get. Now that's very commendable. He added up all the good that was in himself and he trusted in that for his acceptance with God. You'll notice that he refused to acknowledge that he was a sinner. Nowhere in his prayer was there confession of sin. And God's word tells us that a man can never draw near to God unless he admits his sin and admits his need of God's forgiveness. And yet his prayer contained no confession of sin or repentance when it should have. This man should have been praying, Lord, please forgive me for thinking so highly of myself and scorning those around me. But there was no repentance in his prayer. Why? Well, because he thought so highly of himself that he couldn't find anything to repent of. If he had any sense of, at all of God's presence in his life, he would have known that he was a sinner approaching a holy God. Now, this character that Jesus is describing here is actually a good guy. He really is a good guy. In a sense, he's really not a hypocrite. He's actually a religious person. 
Whatever he says about himself is, is actually true. He's not an extortioner. He's not dishonest. He's not cheating on his wife. He really wasn't like the tax collector. He was moral. He was religious. But he's saying, I do this and I do not do that. Therefore, based on the comparison with others, that makes me better. That makes me right with God. And he stands before God being confident of his own righteousness. He had no inclination even to bow his head before a holy God, never much less his What about the other guy, the tax collector? Well, he belonged to the same church as the Pharisee, but he was so different to the Pharisee because he came to God humbly. The scripture says there he stood at a distance. He didn't boast of his own goodness. He wasn't self-righteous. He wasn't full of his own importance, but rather he came to God humbly. He stood at a distance in the outer court, as one who was unworthy to enter the presence of the one whose name is holy. He had a sense of his state, his condition before God. He was an unworthy sinner, far off from God. He came to God humbly. He came to God feeling the weight of his sin. He was so sorry for his sin. He didn't talk about his own goodness. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, we're told. Such was his sense of sin. His weight of sin humbled him before God. He remembered his many sins. He remembered the life that he led, the God that he had despised. And these things came crushing upon his heart like an intolerable burden. And Jesus tells us here that he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. What does that mean? Well, it means he was mourning his sin. Beating his breast then was a sign of extreme grief. And actually, the, the verb tense used here, when it says he was beating his breast, it gives the picture that he kept on beating his chest. He's so sad for his sin. Sorrow caused his heart to bow in brokenness and contrition before God. He's sad because he knows that he's no acceptance with God unless God shows him mercy. He came to God humbly, feeling the weight of his sin. He came to God confessing his sin. He saw himself as he really was, and he cries out there in verse 13, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And by the way, we know that every translation has its faults and what you have here in the NIV is not a very good translation. What the tax collector actually says is this. He says, God be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner. The definite article is used. He actually says, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He's saying, I am the chief of sinners. Nobody's worse than me, God. You can't find somebody who deserves less of your grace. You can't find somebody who's the least of all candidates for your grace more than me, God, the sinner. He's so painfully aware that he's no business being there in and of himself. He doesn't compare himself favorably to others. 
He doesn't compare himself even to the other tax collectors around him. He doesn't say, God, I thank you that I am at least better than the other tax collectors. Not at all. He singles himself out as the sinner. And this is the true sinner's prayer. The tax collector completely owns his sin. He understood that he was helpless. He understood that he was righteously condemned, that he had a debt that he just could not pay. And at this point in my preparation, King David came to mind when I thought about his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah. If you remember the story, you remember the challenge from the prophet Nathan where Nathan says to David, you are the man, you are guilty before God because of your sinfulness. What follows is that David comes to God, conscious of his need, and what is his plea to God? How is that need going to be met? Well, listen to the opening words of Psalm 51. Listen to David's plea to God. David says, have mercy on me, Oh God, that was his only plea. It was for mercy. And we learn from David's plea that no man is prepared for divine forgiveness until he's prepared to plead only for mercy. Notice that David didn't say, Oh God, help me to somehow make up for my failure. He didn't say, Lord, help me to be something better so I can cancel out all the wrong things that I've done in the past. He doesn't say, oh God, hear my vows never to do these things again and then help me to be faithful over the next 20 years. No, as far as David was concerned, there's only one plea. Have mercy on me, oh God. You see, here's the convicted sinner's only hope. There is mercy. Isn't that just great news this morning? There is mercy, mercy that points you to the cross where blood flowed that can cleanse from all sin. And here was the tax collector pleading with God, saying in this deep one-sentence prayer, God, let your anger be turned away from me. I know I'm guilty. I can't even look up to heaven. I can't even look in your direction, God, because of my knowledge of sin. And it tells me that you can't receive me as I am. And his prayer expressed that his only hope was the mercy of God. So much for the characters involved in the parable and the contrast between these two individuals and how they prayed. And notice thirdly, the conclusion of the parable. One returned home justified, right with God. Our Lord Jesus has set up this point brilliantly. You have this self-righteous Pharisee, respected as the holy man in the community, having prayed like he prayed, and you've got the tax collector condemned by the community, praying like he prayed, and what's the verdict? Well, referring to the tax collector, Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And those words must have been a massive earthquake, spiritually speaking, to those who were listening on this occasion. 
When the Pharisee left the temple, he felt he was good to go. He left feeling good and, and confident about himself. He had made his point. He had been in front of people. He had told everyone about himself and, and how great he was. He felt on top of his religious world. But when he left that temple, he was not justified. He was not accepted by God. He went away lost. He walked out as he had walked in. He was still a sinner. He was still guilty in the sight of God. His going to this religious service meant nothing. His prayers meant nothing. He was not forgiven of his sins. In fact, he never even admitted that he was a sinner who needed to be forgiven. Oh, my friend, what a warning this parable is to the self-righteous. The Pharisee's prayer was basically an expression of self-congratulation in two areas. He was congratulating himself as to his character, and secondly, as to his religious performance. He actually believed that he would find acceptance before God on the basis of who he was and what he did. And sadly, sadly, maybe in church, or listening online today. There are some who believe that they're right with God by their own self-righteous effort. Some who are trusting in their own works and their own religious observances as being that which obligates God to them, which would give them favor with God. You see, the self-righteous believe, and it's all said and done, that the good they do will outweigh their bad. And because of that, they'll be acceptable to God. Well, my friend, the thought that you can earn God's favor by working for it, by being good living, such thoughts come from the father of lies, Satan himself. But it appeals to us because we like to do. We like to pat ourselves on the back. And so the religious person says, I'm good. I don't have anything to repent of. I keep the law as best I can. I don't kill. I don't steal. I don't cheat on my wife. I am a good person. And actually, the religious person is really saying this. I am my own savior. And while he acknowledges God, he denies Christ as the only Savior. My friend, be warned against self-righteousness. And Christian, you too, you be warned. Be warned that self-righteousness is also perfectly at home in the assembly of God's saints. It's not an evil found only among the unbelieving world. It's an evil which believers constantly struggle with. If you're a child of God, you need to be on your guard too. You also can slip into self-righteousness. In fact, the Christian wrestles with self-righteousness every single day because it raises its head all the time. And if you don't believe me, just tell yourself, I'm going to do something for somebody. And I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to do it. And I hope that they are greatly blessed. 
And then a day or two goes by and you don't get thanked. You don't get that email. You don't get that note. There's nothing. And pretty soon you're starting to think, well, how ungrateful can they be? I want recognition for what I did. Or in church or outside church, do you not battle to keep thoughts like these away? Oh, I thank God that I am not like others. I'm sure glad that's not me. When we should say, Lord, I thank you that although I am like them, I am now what I am by the grace of God and by his grace alone. So Christian, remember, it's not about what you can do or what you've done. It's about what Christ has done for you. It's not about what you have to offer. It's about what he has given to you that you offer back to him. We need to live like a child of God. We need to confess daily that that Pharisee is who I am by nature, but for the grace of God in my life. It was the tax collector who went home justified. The word for justified is a legal word and it means to be declared not guilty. Jesus pronounced the tax collector not guilty. Why? Because God transferred the penalty for his sin to the sin bearer Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for the tax collector's sin. And so God's justice was satisfied and he was able to extend mercy to the tax collector using the words of Psalm 51 again. All of his sins were blotted out. All of his transgressions were removed as far as the east is from the west. My friend, there's only one way to be justified. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ. And it is the most important thing. Because ultimately, whatever success we have, whatever prominence we have in life, whether we've got poverty or riches, whether we have sickness or health, none of it ultimately matters compared to that great day when you stand before God. And the outcome is either resulting in you being welcomed into heaven for the experience of eternal blessedness with your Savior or you're sent away and Christ says to you, depart from me. I never knew you. That's what matters. The tax collector went home justified because he asked God for mercy that he knew he didn't deserve. He was looking for a righteousness that was not his own. And it truly was an expression of repentant faith. And he didn't even know about the cross. The cross had not even happened yet. All he had were the types and the shadows that he saw at the temple. And those were enough for his faith. And it was enough for God. It wasn't his works. It wasn't his good living. It was his throwing himself on the mercy of God. Let's listen carefully as we close. As God applies this parable to us, I began the sermon by asking that all-important question. How can a sinful human being find acceptance and favor with a holy God? In the outworking of that question, every one of us is like the Pharisee or the tax collector. And I wonder which one reflects you at this moment in time. Jesus has been teaching in the parable that we can look fine on the outside but really be astray on the inside. 
What we see in the, in the Pharisee is this deadly notion that we can be right with God by what we do. And Jesus wants to destroy that notion today. He wants us to forget this idea forever. And that's why Jesus finished the way he did. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. For the Pharisee, it was all about self-exaltation. And God is designed for one person to be exalted, and that's him. That's God. All who exalt themselves in self-righteousness shall be abased by God. All who humble themselves in repentance will be exalted with Christ. So take away with you today the lesson that there is no sin. I don't care what it is. There is no sin so deadly, so dangerous, so soul-destroying as self-righteousness. And you may truly be the best person in all the world, but as long as you trust in yourself, as long as you don't admit your sin and don't cry to God for mercy, heaven will never be yours. For after all, what room has anyone for pride when they see themselves as they truly are in God's sight? And yet the sad fact is that there are some today who are building their hopes of heaven on their so-called position in life. They're building their hopes of heaven on their personal purity and on their good living. They're saying, how can I be refused admittance to heaven? And such a person is just like the Pharisee. Maybe you can say, like the Pharisee, I fast twice a week. I pay into the church, I pray every day, I read my Bible as often as I can, I, I never miss church. And, and God says, away with a person who says I'm a good person, better than most of those I know. So don't be thinking that by being religious, you can buy God's favor. God doesn't want ceremonies. God wants you to admit that you're a sinner in need of his forgiveness. Those who are self-righteous, have convinced themselves that God is pleased with them, that they have done enough to please God. And God says back to them, all your righteousness, all your honesty, all your good living are as filthy rags because honesty will never save a soul and good living will never lead to heaven. Saving faith is missing. Now certainly personal Purity is good, it's, it's very commendable, but if that is all you have on which to base your hope of acceptance with God, your hope of heaven, it will not be enough because you'll never pray enough. You'll never serve enough. You'll never come to church enough. You'll never love people enough. So don't be like the Pharisee. Don't be trusting in your generosity and in your work for the church because if you do, you're going to be lost. Rather, make sure that you're like the tax collector. God will accept you in Christ, not because you're good enough, but because Christ is. And that's got to be clear in your mind, that you're trusting in the righteousness and the person of Christ for your acceptance with God, not in anything that you have done. What God requires is for you to come to Jesus and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I abandon my pretense of my own righteousness. I openly confess my own guilt and condemnation before you because of my sin. And I ask on the basis of what you did for me in the cross that you'll have mercy on my unworthy soul. And scripture says that the one who approaches God like that finds justification finds acceptance with God. And maybe you feel very strongly right now that you don't need to repent, that you don't need God's forgiveness, that you don't need to take him from him, his gift of salvation, that I must be talking about someone else who's sitting beside you. And if you're saying that, then listen to what it says in God's word. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we recognize that truly the Pharisee is a fitting description of you, that up to now you've been self-righteous, my friend, here's the truth of the matter. No man can have hope of heaven until he's confessed his sin. David cried out to God, I have sinned. The prodigal son cried out, I have sinned. The tax collector said the same thing. You and I must follow their example. So will you leave church today? Will you walk away from your TV screen or your laptop continuing to trust in yourself, refusing to admit that you're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness? Or will you believe in church, walking away from your online device, justified, saved, having cried out to God, God be merciful to me, a sinner? My friend, why not today? Throw all your pride and your self-righteousness away and be saved. Come and follow the tax collector's example. Even use his words. Just say the same words that he used. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Make that your prayer to God today. And if you do, then you will go away from God's house today justified and fit for heaven. Not because you're good enough but because you're trusting in the righteousness of Christ for your acceptance with God, not in anything else that you have done. So my friend, look away from self today. Look to the cross. Trust in Jesus, not in your works, but trust in Christ alone. And may God give you the courage, may God give you his grace to come to him by faith. Just one more thing, Christian. Christian, when you're in heaven and someone asks you, what are you doing here? What right have you to be here? What are you going to say? I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, I have no right to be here at all because I'm not here because of something I did. I am here because of what my Savior did for me on the cross. And I'm here because the righteousness of the Lord Jesus was imputed to me. And I'm here because I called out for the mercy of God. I'm here because Jesus saved a sinner like me. My friend, may you be able to truthfully say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
Listen to one of the verses of our next song. May it describe you. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Let's join together to sing. We're going to sing Cornerstone. We're going to use these words.